It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. And this week, I know the world is going to hell in a handbasket, as the old saying goes. Doesn't make it any less true, though. The Great Reset is changing our food supply with bread shortages, we're told, coming to complement our high gas prices. And the West is never letting a crisis go to waste by using the Ukraine war to deflect attention away from what they've been planning to do for years. And those things include digital currency, so they can control what you can buy and sell, which will morph into the Chinese social credit score, which we had a taste of with vaccine passports. So those things are all happening. But one thing at a time, one issue at a time. And here's a story of a woman, several women, actually, who are fighting back in their own way. Jen Lo Salinas and other women have filed a notice of intent to sue the dystopian-like city of Portland, Oregon, over the mayor's choice to announce in advance that city police would not in any way help if a advertised free speech rally in August 2021 that they called the Summer of Love would not be responded to by the police if any violence happened. Now, you might think to yourself, well, you know, why would there be something like that at a summer of love, Victoria? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, And this happens um, quite often, fairly often, I would say, that uh, the folks who are Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer, they put together an event that's a free speech event. And then Antifa decides that they don't like those people. They've decided that they're white supremacists, notwithstanding the fact that most of them are people of color, whatever. Uh, And they are bad people. They're fascists. And so they come and they create havoc. Uh, The general state of play between these people is that if Antifa doesn't show up, there won't be any violence. And if Antifa starts throwing punches, they'll punch back. And that's basically what happens at these things. Sometimes, unless as one time in August, I think it was 2019 in the city of Portland, the cops actually kept them separated. And you're not going to believe this. There was no violence. So we know that is a truism. When they're kept apart and Antifa doesn't start nothing, there won't be nothing. So that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody to come and protect them. That's right. The right people, the conservative people wanted the police to come protect them. But Ted said, no, I'm not going to do that. So they advertised their summer of love, an obvious poke at what the mayor of Seattle characterized. She characterized the takeover of like a six block area on Capitol Hill in in Seattle. Remember, it was after George Floyd, Antifa, BLM militants took over a part of the city, erected barricades, armed checkpoints. And indeed, there were the murders of two teenage boys, black, who he thought this was all about. Remember that? Well, anyway, uh, so, I mean, they have the body count continues for Antifa and BLM. I digress. So, meanwhile, this Hispanic woman I spoke with and several other women of color were at this Portland event. You know, the white supremacists. And so, Antifa said, hey, we're going to make trouble. We're not going to let them in our city because it's our city. Because we're anti-fascists, remember? Right. 
So the city of Portland took Antifa's word for it and said, oh, well, these are, you know, these are white nationalists. We don't want these people in our city. We're not going to lift a finger to do anything to keep these two separated, which was kind of a bad idea. And indeed, a car attack occurred, explosives, fisticuffs. It was quite a scene in August of 2021. Later, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler said, oh, yeah, about that not responding thing that that uh-huh. didn't quite work out. Didn't that was that was not good. So now there's an intent to sue paperwork filed with the city of Portland for their, its failure to protect these citizens and failing to keep Antifa away. They actually moved their event when Antifa found out it was going to be downtown. They go, well, this isn't going to work out real well. So uh, they moved it on the outskirts of town and Antifa showed up anyway. And they kept the location pretty secret. Apparently, this is what they're going to tell you. And uh, later, there was one arrest of somebody on the conservative side. He's a notorious guy. And uh, that's why he was there providing security for this event that day. Uh, Antifa members? No. No arrests. Two-tier justice system? You bet. We talk about it all. Take a listen. All right. So let's uh, let's start out and let's talk a little bit about yourself and why you are helping to sue the city of Portland over a conflict between a group that you were involved with last summer, August 2021, and the city of Portland. So who are you? Why are you suing? And where is that lawsuit now? I'm Jen Lowe. I'm a national vice president at Latinos United for America and um, also at Latinos for Trump with the number four Trump. So there are different organizations, and ours is one of the founding organizations um, that began back in uh, 2016. They were registered in 2017 before Trump won the camp, uh, you know, his campaign. Mm-hmm. I started going to Portland because we weren't dealing with all the issues that the city of Portland was having that we were having down here in Texas. And as you know, Texas is a very red state. So whenever uh, activist friends of mine uh, invited me to go out there to one of their rallies, I agreed to go because I wanted to film and um, document what was going on out there. And Every time I went, I was in disbelief at the way the city was being handled, the way they were handling right-wing events. I couldn't believe what was taking place. And I knew because of how fast things were going that this was coming to our state, that that the Antifa in our cities were going to take notes from their playbook, and that was going to end up in our state. And that was one of my main concerns. And so every time I went, and every time we began to have one of our events here, sure, sure can be, they were they were using some of those tactics on us out here. Like and what I was kind all of tactics? Aware, like they would come with their pots and their pans and their drums, something they never did that before. They would just come and yell at us. They started getting a little bit more advanced in their black block and uh, covering up and covering themselves. They had never really did that. If you look at the very first March for Trump in Austin in 2017, and you look at the way they came out 
it's nowhere near the way they came out in 2018 at the March Against Far Left Violence here in Texas. And I saw this transpiring over time as an activist. And I knew that they were becoming more and more radicalized. So you, you went to Portland just to see what they were doing so you could take notes. Yes, that's why I went. And then um, whenever, whenever we went, I believe it was June. I want to say it was in June, very late June. I want to say June 30th, but I would have to go back and check my notes. But we had a, a march. We planned a march. I spoke with Joey Gibson on the phone. And I told him, you really should get a permit this time. That way, if Antifa shows up, they'll have to remove them because this is your event, not theirs. And it's, it's better to protect you. Well, that was the absolute opposite of what happened. We were in there. I was filming. A lot of Antifa showed up to shout down Patriot Prayers March. Um, Joey was speaking to the police officers and we were supposed to march in the opposite direction of Antifa. Instead, we were marched right into their pathway where they started launching eggs and um, other, other liquids at us. Um, we had to keep marching on, which ensued in an absolute riot because Antifa you know, they ran down the other corner, collided with our march, threw an explosive into the march, and then just started fighting with some of the, the guys in the front of the march. And then that that was, um, what do the police call that? Kettling. A riot. They, they said that... Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, they said, this is a riot. We're, we're, you know, we're stopping the march. We're stopping everything. It was like they set us up. And then Wheeler made them stand down, and a lot of people got seriously harmed because Wheeler didn't allow the police to do their job. I was within an inch of them. They were taking bricks from the site or from some construction site, and they were tossing them in the air. And just, just wanting to hit whoever they could hit, however they can get them. And so whenever they did that, one of the bricks almost hit me with a quarter inch on my head. They got it. Had I taken a little bit of a step more forward, that brick would have hurt me. So it would have caused some serious injury to my head. Mm. And that would have been on Mayor Ted Willer because he allowed such lawlessness to take place in downtown Portland that day. So what year was this? Was this 2018 or 2019? 2018. Okay. I believe it was June 30th of 2018. That's why you saw so many people fly into Portland from all over the country that August. And I think it was day, like just even a week. Uh, it was just even a week in, uh, before. And people were so upset about what they saw take place. They were like, no, we're going we're gonna to all stand together against this type of of tactics on, that are being used on conservatives. And people flew in from all over. And the city and Ted Willer made up rumors and made up lies to rile up the, the radical leftist community and uh, get them to come out and a show of force against the right-wingers that were coming out. But they were like, if they're gonna attack us, there's pro this was this was what I figured. What I saw uh, transpiring, and this was this is what I feel that was my state of mind. I don't know. I don't want to speak for everybody that went out there because everyone went out there for a different cause or different reason. But here's what I took from it. 
I think people showed up in a major show of force that August day of 2018 because they thought, you know what? Your tactics are not going to win against us. We all stand together, unified as citizens from all across the country. And that's why you saw people show up by the thousands that day on the right wing side because they were they had enough of watching Portland rot and people be persecuted and right wingers being harmed. You know, it was happening all the time and it was just enough kind of was enough. For that was kind of like the enough is enough rally. Uh, you know? The what happened that day? In- Nothing. Actually it was very hot. Is that the one where the cops kept both sides apart? That was the only time that actually worked where the cops actually took a hand in directing people and keeping Antifa and the right apart. And that was the only success in the entire time that they did it. And they never replicated it again. I believe the reason why is because the right wing, every single media outlet that they could get their hands on and they had all eyes on Portland. Mm-hmm. They had, um, we had big time media people that flew out there and they were expecting a riot. We were, we were not expecting the police to do their job, but we felt like if there was enough of us that, that they would not attack us, which could have ended up being, honestly, it's a good thing that Willard did his job that day because had he not done his job and had he told the police to stand down again, those two sides colliding would have been horrific for the entire city. Yeah. It would have been an utter disaster because Antifa doesn't stop attacking. They just keep going and keep going and keep going. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you, you have no choice. You have to defend yourself. You have to. Well, I've noticed in all of the clashes between the right and Antifa that nothing ever starts unless Antifa does something first. That has been my experience. Am I wrong? No, no, that's absolutely right. In my experience, um, every time I've gone uh, to a rally anywhere in New York, California, Florida, uh, Texas, it doesn't matter where or where city I'm in, it's always Antifa that comes out with the violence. And then you always see, immediately following that, a left-wing article that's printed that says, uh, Proud Boys known for violence. And then it's like, But you go back in your mind and remember that specific event where it was actually not the Proud Boys. It was Antifa agitating and trying to attack the Proud Boys. And almost every single time, it's one of the Proud Boys defending themselves. And they have no choice. It's like I said, I mean, a brick almost hit my head. And I was behind Rufio at that event where he knocked that guy out. And the reason he had to do it was because he jumped in front of me and a special needs man. And the man was hiding in an alley because he was was terrified about being attacked. So he hid. And I told him, just stay behind me. Just stay right there. My mom, my mom was, uh, God rest her soul, but she worked for special education for 30 years. And I grew up um, helping my mom at work as a child and a teenager Mm -hmm. with her ARDs and with uh, special needs kids. And 
That man that was there that day, he was just a fan of Joey Gibson. You could tell he was he had Down syndrome. He very, very sweet man. And he was getting attacked by Antifa and I mean everybody was. I mean it was a full on attack while police watched or drove by. It was crazy. And he ran and I told him, get in this little hole. It was like a like a little alleyway and he got in there and Rufio saw and I was Put, I had my arms out, you know, to protect him, and he was crying and shivering, and he was extremely scared, and that's when Rufio came running in. And when Rufio ran in, I don't even know who Rufio is, so can you explain that to me? Rufio is, a, is, is being tried right now for the January 6th stuff. He's uh. a leader in the Proud Boys, and he's from Portland area. Oh, that guy, And okay. uh, he was... Yeah, he was part of a lot of these events, and and so I met him in my travels, and I watched them, and I watched how they participated in the events, the great lengths they took to make sure that everybody would be safe. I mean, and as I'm reading, well, I'll go into that part later, but... I, I've watched them in their channels. Um, I'm not privy to any Proud Boy channels because I'm a woman and women are not allowed. But I have been in some planning uh, channels in the very beginning where women and men were in there and some of the Proud Boys were in there. And their planning process has is, is always been very uniform. It's the same. So they always have like a medic chat. And then you'll have like the, the chat where all the attendees are going and they're communicating with them in there. And then they have like, of course, their organizers chat where that's tier one, you know, and all the organizers are in there organizing, you know, I guess they're talking about permits or they're maybe talking about um, location, where we're going to meet, how we're going to get in, how we're going to get out, how we're going to get everybody out safe. That's, they're always, that's always how they, that's how they operate. And Rufio has always been that guy. He's always been in there. And so that day when he saw that we were in distress and we were stuck and we were, we were surrounded from both sides, he came in and stopped that guy from harming us. And then that guy went at him and tried to hit him with that, that stick, that black battalion stick. Uh-huh. And Rufio knocked him out and we were able to get out of there. Is that the fame? Wait, is that the famous one where the he's standing there and he just cold cocks that guy? Is that's that him? The famous punch. Yeah, that's oh. the punch heard around the world. Wow, I've seen that. Holy moly, that guy just. Woo. Okay, explain for my listeners right now why it is that Proud Boys and all the attendant groups that participate in these kinds of events do them in the first place. What's the point? Well, for us in Texas, we do them and we have fun and um, everyone comes out and I think, honestly, I think the first time we started doing our events and, and I'm not, I don't want to speak for Portland, um, but I, I, I will a little bit because I've gotten to know them all so well. But in Texas, we were doing it at Latinos United for America because in Latino, well, I was Texans United for America. I'm their president. And then I was also with Latinos uh, for Trump, the Texas org at the time. I'm no longer there anymore. But um, we were doing them because the left and the, the minority left kept coming out against 
white people calling all the Trump supporters white supremacists. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden there was an attack on the white race. And if you were white, you had to either you had privilege or you had to be ashamed of yourself for oppressing others. Mm-hmm. And it was this narrative that just wouldn't stop. So I, we got together with uh, my friend, she's half black. Uh, me, I'm Hispanic. Um, another black friend of ours, Marvina. She's a wonderful activist here in Texas. And um, some of our other organizing friends got together and we did the very first March for Trump here in Austin, Texas. And it was huge. People came out in the cold, pouring rain in support of President Trump. And races from all over. It was a great diversity of a march. Mm -hmm. And they just came out, you know, in numbers. And they were being interviewed by the media. And they were being asked, why are you here today? And they were, you know, talking about President Trump's policies. We had some amazing speakers that came out. Everybody came out with their umbrellas. And, um... We had a march all the way to the Capitol where we had even more speakers. And it was just, it was an amazing time back then. It was amazing. That was back in 2017. And then after that, we just had a couple of more marches because the more we came out, uh, the more the people could see that, hey, the, they're, imagine if all the Trump supporters were silent, Victoria, mm-hmm. and they didn't say anything at all, and they let the left get away with the narrative that all the Trump supporters were white supremacists. Imagine that. Imagine that that would not have changed Donald Trump's Hispanic vote. You know, he went from 34% to 64% of the Hispanic vote. And that is a huge, huge victory. And that took a lot of different organizations, not just, you know, the Trump campaign, Latino for Trump coalition. It wasn't just the Republican Hispanic National Assembly. It wasn't just the Hispanic, uh, you know, RNC. It wasn't just us at the Texas Latinos for Trump or else's Latinos for Trump in California. This was a this was a huge effort made across the country to get into our Latino speaking communities and talk to them because we had you have major outlets like Telemundo, Univision, mm-hmm. Azteca America going in there and telling them lies about President Trump. I mean, they are the CNN yeah. of the Hispanic speaking community. Mm-hmm. And so it is a battle to get in there and tell them otherwise, because some of these channels, like, it's all they watch. I mean, my, my, my mother's mother, all she ever watched was these channels and her novelas, you know, that's, right. <laughs> right. that's all they watch. So then, okay, so you had some history. You decided to come to Portland to take notes. You took a stand because you were sick and tired of the they're all white supremacist narrative. And here you are, a brown woman going, uh, well, I don't think that's true. And so you come to Portland and now you are suing Portland, Oregon. You and other people are. And and tell me why you're suing. Well, we're suing the city of Portland because once again, and this time they went way too far, they really did, um, they put us in great danger. And people could have died on that day of August 22nd, 2020, or I think it was 2021. People could have died 
um, they almost, Antifa almost blew up a gas station while police, according to Ted Willer, were nearby watching and taking notes. Okay, let's let's pause for just a second. Here was Ted Wheeler talking about how he wanted to make sure Portland was full of love. He held a huge dog and pony show on August 20th of 2021, and he talked about how they really weren't going to do anything. But now listen to the way this whole event, which was over an hour and a half long, approximately anyway, at least according to the recording, in which um, in which he talks with other leaders in Oregon and Portland about how um, they are going to lead with love and and diversity. Now, listen to this must believe that tomorrow will be better. We must continue to foster a culture here in our community that embraces innovation, creativity, diversity, and empathy. We must support a culture that challenges the status quo to build the city of the future that we want to see collectively. We must believe that our city needs to change. And we must also believe that that change is possible. And we must always remember what at our core drives us together. And that is a sense of love. The love of our family, our friends, and our community. That's who we are. And that's what we're here today to celebrate. Choose love. Thank you. And it's now my privilege to introduce my friend, Metro President Lynn Peterson. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, and thank you so much, Mayor. Uh, To be honest, I hold out little hope that any Proud Boys are gonna listen to the Metro Council President when she says, we don't want you here. And I don't think many counter protesters will be surprised to hear the Metro Council President say, don't take their bait. But I hope that all those things. Okay, and then she goes on. So basically, they've the they've chosen sides, as if we unity. didn't know. We uh, the city of Portland chose sides, and later, I think it was that day or the day after, right before the event, the police chief came out and said, "We're not doing a thing about this." I, I couldn't believe it, Victoria. As I watched, and I was being sent press conferences that they were doing in town halls, and um, interviews. Articles that were coming out in in the paper, I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought, are they crazy? Do they not know if they continue with this narrative and follow through with keeping the community unsafe, they can be sued? This is insanity. How corrupt are the courts that they feel so emboldened that they do this? And then what happened? well, um, I spoke with uh, one of the other organizers who I will not name at this time, and I advised the organizer um, along with another organizer, it was both of us, and we said we were discussing whether we should move the event. Some people didn't want to move the event. They, they, they felt like if we move the event, we're going to leave people unsafe. And we can't, we can't ditch those people. And I said, well, I mean... If we make the announcement and spread it through our channels, they'll probably get get the, the announcement, you know? And so we took a chance and we moved the event because we knew what Ted Willer was doing and what the rest of his city uh, partners and officials were doing. They were, they were acting and cohorting together to create a very bad narrative about 
us women that were organizing the event. First of all, we're not Proud Boys, okay? And um, we're a diverse group of women, and we're not... You, you can't even be... If you're a woman, you cannot be a Proud Boy. But we did have to... We did end up calling on them, which is ironic, because they weren't even going to go. The Proud Boys had no intention of ever going to that waterfront park. Ever. And, and they were just like, that was an absolute no for them. They were not going to do it. So Ted Wheeler was lying to the general public, and so was all his city officials and all those people that came out talking about the, white, the, the Proud Boys being white supremacists and neo-Nazis and... Everything that they said was completely false, and we knew it, but we, we had to beg them to come. We called our friend Tiny. He said, let me call them and let me see what I can do, and we said, look, we're, we're going to be unsafe if we do this. Even if we move it, there is a huge chance. I mean, we moved it 10 miles away from the Waterford Park. I mean, it was, we were in North Portland. We moved it so far away mm-hmm. because we really were trying very hard to prevent any kind of violence. And what was the name of your event? It was called Summer of Love. <laughs> and they were, yeah, and then they, they, they came out with an event with their Choose Love press conference. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is just evil and demonic at this point. Y'all are just being horrible people. It's just horrible what they're doing. Mocking so, you. They were mocking you. They were mocking us, yeah. And so we called on Tiny and said, hey, we're going to need some Proud Boys out here. He said, they don't want to touch this event. The city's gone nuts, and they don't want to have anything to do with anything. Okay, well, let's, let's stop here for just a second. Tiny Tozy is a guy who's a Proud Boy guy who's constantly, uh, frankly, in trouble with the law as a result of his activities, right? Yes, because of his activism. I mean, he's politically persecuted. That's what I call it. Yeah. So you've got the city allowing Antifa to do total lawlessness, but when he comes out defending himself or having to defend himself because Antifa's attacking him, he gets arrested. You know? Right. And he's just this really young guy. I think Tiny's like 25. Seriously. Very tall, Simonian guy. He's not a white supremacist, he's super dark, you know, very dark skinned. I mean, he looks like a really dark Hispanic man, but he's Simonian. So, um, so you, they were mocking you. I just wanted to call attention to who Tiny is. So you have, you were on a first name basis with him. You call him and you say, we need the Proud Boys. We need some security. And that's, and, and so you move 10 miles away. So you're not involved at all in with the core area of downtown and you are doing your speaking thing. You set up a stage and all of that. And then what happens? So we, we had a bunch of speakers. Some people came in and talked about their story. We had a lot of people that actually lived in the community. So for Ted Willard to get up and say, we don't want you here, uh, he's, as the mayor of the city, he's saying, we don't want you here exercising your First Amendment right. And what Ted Wheeler fails to understand is that Portland does not belong to him, or neither does the state of Oregon. We're a union. This is a republic. And we pay federal taxes all across the country. And if we want to go to Portland, we're going to go to Portland, Ted Wheeler. And if we want to have a rally, we're going to have a rally. And there's nothing he can say or do about it. But he still went on with the charade that he put on this big circus sideshow to try to make us look like hateful people. And because he did that, a lot of us could have been killed that day. 
He put us in great danger. He caused a lot of trauma. I'm already traumatized by Ted Willard, but what I saw go down that day was very scary. We had children at our event. We had bubbles and chalk. People were writing on the on the pavement uh, with little loving messages, and we were all dancing and singing. We had a speech on voter registration and how important it is to get into your communities right now and get people registered to vote. Um, there was just some really, really, really great speeches. And then all of a sudden, we heard huge explosives going off, and we heard a crash. And... When I looked up, a lot of the Proud Boys went running to the front of the parking lot because we had some, there were some Proud Boys that were guarding the entryway. And, they, and rightfully so, because one, the, there was a, like a white minivan that came running through, like came ramming through, uh, speeding, and crashed and almost hit those people with their car. They had no, no remorse at all, they came with the intent to murder, to kill. And I know that the, that the left says that a lot about the Proud Boys, but that is absolutely not true. It's actually the opposite. The left comes in and their intent is to murder and to kill you. And I'm pretty sure Ted Willer knows this. I'm pretty sure the police department know this about them. It's why we panicked and moved the event. It's why we did everything we could to make sure everybody was safe. It's why the Proud Boys were even protecting the entryway of that drive-in that entrance to the Kmart parking lot because they had a feeling they might show up. And they did, and they wanted to crash right through them. They moved out of the way and no one got hurt. But Antifa spilled out of that van, <clears throat> and that's when explosives started going off, and that's when the fighting in ensued. Who, who, stopped, and, who started the explosives? Antifa. We don't have explosives. We don't carry that stuff. I mean, I don't think the Proud Boys had any explosives. They don't usually carry any of that stuff. But... Boy, were they upset that they almost got ran over by the van. And boy, were they upset that they were throwing explosives at them and hitting them with sticks. And, like the, and I mean the police battalion sticks. So they're the type of sticks that they, they come with. And they were hitting on them with them. So, of course, what happens? Another riot. And the boys have to defend themselves. And this was like not 10 Antifa people. They had several cars. That was just one car. They came in other cars, and it ended up being about 60 of them. Six zero. I didn't see and that. Hmm. Yes, it was a lot of them. A lot of them ran away. They ran off because they were able to fend them off. They never did make it inside our parking lot. And we were able to get the women and the children in their cars and get them out. But we did speak to the gas, uh, the gas station attendee. And he had told us that he had been calling 911 several times because they were launching explosives at the Exxon gas station nearby. It was literally like right next door to Kmart. And so while they were, while the Proud Boys were trying to fend them off, they were throwing explosives at them. And as they were passing, you know, walking past the Exxon, those explosives were landing right next to the gas, the little gas stations. Mm. And so the attendee got very scared and called 911. No one ever came. No one ever responded. No police responded. How is that? Can you imagine, Victoria, if that gas station would have blown up? Oh, I no. mean, it would have been horrific, horrific. And that would have been the police department's fault and Ted Willer's fault. There would have been no fault but their own. And putting so many people in danger and a lot of people would have lost their lives as well. 
It was reckless what he did, and he came out and apologized about it and said that he'll do better next time. But you know what? I'm sorry, but we do not accept his apology. We are going to sue them for what they did. And so far you have and others have uh, filed intent to uh, sue the city of Portland, and they've asked you to turn over or be prepared to turn over all kinds of information and discovery that I don't know that I've ever seen before in order to bring a lawsuit, a tort lawsuit against the city. So are you going to turn over that information should you have to, which is includes um, all kinds of text messages and car descriptions? And I mean, it's it, they're asking for a lot of stuff. I just It's sort of like, wait, what? Or at least freeze them in anticipation of discovering them in a lawsuit. I mean, we're prepared to hand over anything that they request to through our attorney. And in cases like that, especially um, because of the vile way the city has behaved, um, I'm sure that our attorney can um, can throw things out. There are certain things that you can, you can have thrown out. So um, they're not going to get every single thing they want. But we're, we're happy to. I mean, we have nothing to hide. So we're happy to hand over to them everything in our channels that we were planning, you know, they're going to see the Proud Boys were not a part of this and it's going to be egg in their face because this was not a Proud Boy event. And uh, we have the planning chats and channels to prove it with the dates on it, you know. And then later in Portland, there was a shooting between a guy who I see them. I see in the left wing media that uh, he, there was a guy who's supposedly affiliated with Proud Boys or your side of the political aisle in some form or fashion. Do you know anything about that? And who was that guy? Um, but did you say shot? Yeah, he was he uh, engaged in a shootout with Antifa people who, by the way, looking oh, on that day, on that, on day, that day, looking at the, the video that was initially uh, revealed on Twitter, Antifa shot first across the street. Yes, I know. Um, yeah. And the Antifa, of course, has gotten away and no one knows who it is as usual um, because they they're constantly covering for them. But no, that those people, whoever that was, what, no one knew who that was. They're not on on the right wing side the, the I mean, are maybe not even involved in politics at all. So I have no idea who that was. And nobody did either. I remember we were we were discussing it that night when we all met up at a friend's house and everybody was like, who is that guy? But no one no one knew who that person was. Just curious uh, as to, you know, he was down there. He didn't look like I mean, he looked like he was an older guy. And it was like, I'm not sure he belongs in your group or what have you. But No, no, we didn't know him. But you know what? Maybe just another fed up, you know, uh, person that lives downtown. You know, I wasn't there. There was another shootout just recently, right, where someone came out and told them off. And then they yes. hit, yes. ended up shooting someone. I read that in an article and thought, God, you know, Portland, is it's so sad. My brother, my older brother used to live in Portland. He died in Portland. Um, he got caught up with the wrong, wrong stuff and he killed himself. He committed suicide in Portland, oh, so sorry. Oregon. And so that city, it just, it, I have a thing in my heart for it. I have a special place in my heart because my brother loved Portland so much. But the city policies are, are harmful to the people, you know?
And the people think that they're great and they're helping them, and it's not. They're actually harming them. This is a, did, Oh, go ahead. Did you see Joe Biden recently come out and say, we're going to use your taxpayer dollars to give people crack pipes? Yes. You know? I mean, that's not helping an, an addict. That's harming the addict, giving them needles and crack pipes. I mean, who, who would have thought of that? But, I mean, I digress. I'm just saying that it, it, it's just Portland. I've, I've always had a special place in my heart there. I've got friends that I love that live there that I've grown. They've grown to be almost like family to me. And it's very sad to see a lot of them being politically persecuted right now. And um, it is, I pray for them all the time. It's just very sad. And well, here's the attitude of this is a BLM uh, leader in Portland. This was in 2020. I think this well, I think this is in actually 2019. And she was surrounded by people from the city, the ministry, all kinds of activists. And she was applauded. My name is Ty Carpenter, and I'm the president of Don't Shoot Portland. <laughs> Teresa Rayford is also my mother. And I just want to say, I didn't come here to listen to a sermon. There's no fucking, there's no such thing as fucking peaceful protest. That is an exercise. That is an exercise in all lives matter bullshit. And it's not going to stand. There is no peaceful protest. You are being fucking murdered. Okay? You're speaking to a new generation. So you need to talk like it. And she's cheered on. There is no such thing as a peaceful protest. She gave away the game in a public meeting. Yeah, it's amazing how they cheer on, you know, vulgarity like that. And um, and without and this she was woman, being, without, she was being applauded by a minister. <laughs> oh gosh, and um, and it's amazing to me how all these people and y'all. Let's think about this for a minute here. Let's take a step back. All these people have no clue. Who's organizing this event? All of this circus and these grandstanding speeches and everything you heard and saw go down and not a single person knew who was organizing this event. They made they made things up, they made assumptions, they exactly. their own narrative and their own story, and they just went off without a hitch so they into just, the sunset. They assumed that it was Proud Boys and not you. Yes. And all it would have taken was a very little bit of research. It was on my Telegram channel. It was on my Facebook page. Okay, it's not like I was hiding it, Victoria. I posted it on my Facebook. I mean, Antifa follows my Facebook, and they know what I'm doing. They knew it was us. Antifa knew it was us. They can't say that they didn't because they tweeted about it. But you're friends. But you're friends with the Proud Boys, so of course, naturally, they they are more well known than um yeah than you particular i guess and it sounds better to have it as a proud boy event than a latinos for trump event or yeah i know yeah and of course i mean they they knew that elsa was going to be there i mean chad louder wouldn't be quiet about it he's a blue check mark on twitter that antifa follows and uh he was tweeting about it he was tweeting about our la summer i mean spring love fest too he was all over that and so, so a lot of them, they knew, but they just wanted to go with this narrative. 
because it's better to demonize a Proud Boys and label every, every event a Proud Boy event in Portland than just tell the truth. And so you are asking for, you've in, you filed an intent to sue, and you are going forward with that, you as well as others. And yes, we have, an att- we have two attorneys that are really excited about the case. Um, they've gone through all the evidence. They've gone through a little bit of discovery of their own. And um, they said it's a great case and it's about time. Um, and they really want to take this case. The, the only thing is right now we're crowd, we're fundraising. I finally got the Give, Send, Go approval last night. It took a while because I had a little bit of issues with Stripe. But um, it's able to, it's, it's up now. And... Um, and we plan we, we on crowdsourcing. I think we need 8500 to start as a retainer. I know um, one of the other ladies that attended that's also suing was on the Lars, uh, Lars, Larson show mm-hmm. the other day. And um, so, so they're, they're spreading it out. I know they have a Venmo fundraiser also. Mm-hmm. So we have two. Uh-huh. And, and on what and basis? And we have to get more because oh, yeah. apparently I- the... They've been taking fundraisers down that if you're affiliated with anything right wing and you're fundraising, it gets taken down. So so we're, we're kind of doing our due diligence and creating a little bit more that can't be taken down. Mm-hmm. On what basis are you suing? Um, we're suing for them putting us in harm's way for causing emotional, mental damage, trauma. Um, one of the girls was almost hit with the explosive in her leg. And um, they didn't even come out there to look for evidence or anything. They're actually, one of the organizers picked up some of the explosives that stayed on the ground. And uh, these, are, these are very big man-made explosives that could cause a lot of damage to a person's body. Mm-hmm. The police needed to be there. And they knew that it was being moved because we made the announcement very early in the morning so that they could get it and they could see it. Ted Willer knew it was moved because he sent police officers to our location so that they could, AKA, take notes. So they were watching us being harmed and all of these things happening while they just took notes. Don't you find that a little bit odd? They Watching, yeah, I, yes, I have issues with the way that happens. Uh, when yeah. they when they'll be there and they can see what's going on and it's illegality, but they don't do anything to step in and stop it. Yeah, I want to say I want to say a little bit more about what we have, but I my attorney wants me to keep keep it a little bit on lockdown for now until it's um, the case is 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 put into the court. I hope you guys go to court. I hope you don't settle. No, we're not going to settle. We already all discussed that. All of us discussed that. And we wanted more than anything else. We're not doing this for the money. We're doing this because it needs to stop. And we want everything exposed through discovery. We want the, the general public, not just Portland community people, but the entire country, we want them to see what they were actually up to and what they were doing and the resources and the lengths that they went to to put us in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a civil rights issue, it seems to me. So that's a federal civil rights issue. Probably mm-hmm. a state one as well. Uh, well, Governor, Governor Kate Brown was involved. She signed a, a letter that, that uh, Thriller signed together. They signed it, um, like, I don't know how to say it. They were in, they were in a, taking the stance together against our event. Collusion? 
Yeah, and they so they, they drew up this long letter and they signed it together because they were choosing love. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't feel the love. I didn't feel the love. I felt the love coming from our event, but I did not feel any love. To, uh, they decided to choose love. I mean, that's a very odd way of choosing love. That's the complete opposite of choosing love. You chose violence, and you chose allowing people to get maimed, harmed, or even murdered. How is that? How is the city choosing love at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No. Um, but thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to tell my story. I have one last question. Did sure. you know Did you know Jay Aaron Danielson? I did. I met Jay before, yes. So uh, I had Antifa John on, and he claims that, that uh, Jay had somehow done something to Antifa right before that, sprayed his... Shooter, who's obviously seen, I mean, he was a little bit nuts, an Antifa security guard, and somehow he was to blame for his own murder? What do you, how do you respond to that? Jay, the, the guy that I met was a very gentle-hearted man. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that for a minute. Jay is not the type of guy to just walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm going to spray you in the face. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. I mean, sure, he'll carry around his stuff that defend, to defend himself. Obviously, he was murdered. He needed to defend himself because he was in danger of being in Portland. You're in danger um, from these people. But he's not the type of person to just walk up to someone and, and spray them in the face. So I absolutely 100% don't believe that. And I've seen firsthand how Antifa lies. I mean, we were just at this event here in Austin, and uh, right now Governor Abbott wants to uh, say that transitioning little children um, in, into transvestites is, is considered child abuse. And our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, wrote up an opinion about it, also uh, saying that it's child abuse. And so um, we went to that rally, and InfoWars showed up. And I watched as they attacked the InfoWars people, and Kit O'Connell got on Twitter. He's one of, one of their journalists here, Antifa journalists. And he said how, you know, InfoWars showed up shoving people, which was the complete opposite of what actually happened. InfoWars showed up, and one, one of the women punched Owen in the face, and it's all on camera, and another person, and then other people were shoving them, impeding their way, not letting them get through, shoving poster boards in their face and yelling obscenities at them. And I videotaped the whole thing, it's on my Facebook page. And here comes a journalist, a left-wing journalist that comes out here. Uh, you know, and he tries to assault me, too. I told him, you better not touch me. You will be arrested. But he did. He attempted to assault me. And um, he comes out on Twitter claiming the complete opposite. Basically, everything they were doing, um, they said that the Enforce uh, crew was doing, which is not absolutely not true. Yeah. And so, no, I just, I don't believe that, that uh, Jay would, would just walk up to a man and, and try to mace him in his face. It's not even in his character. Does it surprise you that Antifa is trying to rewrite history? Nope, not at all. I've seen them do it all too many times. You see all the blue check marks and they all come out, um, in cohorts together, you know, they all pick up on the same narrative. I mean, 
you see them come out with a certain headline and then it's like the New York Times follows, the Washington Post follows, the you know, Newsweek follows, and it just keeps, it's like all of these papers follow suit. And that's exactly what they all are. They're just an echo chamber of their own narrative. Mm -hmm. And they all follow suit. Because if you say a lie more than three times, it's true, right? I mean, they repeat this lie thousands of times. They get the ACLU involved. They get the SPLC involved. You know, the SPLC has Texans United for America as a, a hate organization. They have mass resistance as a hate organization because mass resistance went after the, the drag queen sex offenders that were reading to the little kids at the libraries. And they found that one of the one of the people reading at the library had raped and molested five little boys. One of them was a brutal assault on the little boy and he was deemed to repeat the offense again. Um, one of the other ones raped a little boy in his bedroom and in his parents' swimming pool. And he was reading to the little kids. And so the left doesn't like it when you do your digging and your due diligence. And you go in there and you find out what they're up to. And I was a part of that research team. I was on the team that exposed that and it made international news. And I have no qualms about it because I'm a parent and I'm a mom and I want to understand why the left has been after our children so badly. Our children, you know, there was a documentary that just came out yesterday called Whose Children Are They? And I, I, I employ everybody to go and watch it. It was only going to be playing in the theaters yesterday at 7 p.m. And a lot of us activists went to our local theater to go and see it. And it was an, I was an eye-opening. I, I, I mean, actually, I wanted them to go a little bit further into the United States uh, Department of Education because I'm very disappointed in our and in, in what's going on there. Did you know that two hundred and eighty three billion dollars were given to the Department of Education and only ten percent of that went to children? Ten percent. Because they're more interested in funding their unions and um, the unions creating more jobs so that they could have more member paying people than they than they care about our children. And it's just, it's a, it's a sad thing what's going on in the public system. And if the left really, really cared about our children, they'd get in on this fight with us. Yeah. You know? But instead, they're busy, you know, promoting uh, sex to five-year-olds in Drag Queen Story Hour. You've got, I don't know, I forget what state that's in, but they had a school that was promoting um, Satan and after an after-school program to learn about Satan. It's a complete flood of degeneracy that's going on within our school systems. And I truly do believe it's because they need to break up the nuclear family. They need to, uh, they don't want Christian or that's why they took God out of schools. Hell, that's why the Democratic Party took God out of the Democratic Party. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all an attack to break up the nuclear family so that they could brainwash our children and keep them um, in, in their, under their reins. So are you a domestic terrorist then, Jen? I mean, according to the Department of Justice and Maracas, if you question the election fraud, if you question COVID narrative, if you're, if you're a mom that goes to a school board meeting um, to question the school board members, you are a extremist terrorist. That's right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Victoria. You take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast. 
with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. <laughs>